Catholic commentary. Spiritual warfare. Stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Jesus 911. Soul Patrol Jesus 911. With Jesse and Anita. It's great to be back another Friday. Two emergency responders, retired cop, retired nurse. Yes. Lover of the Lord Jesus Christ, lover of Our Lady. And lover of each other. Each other. <laughs> I'm going to bless my wife right now. I bless you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. As we start the show. And I bless. I'm going to bless my husband. I bless you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. May God bless you. Excuse me. May God bless you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey, <laughs> we're going to talk today about a topic where a lot of Catholics are ambivalent about, or they go back and forth on it, on the issue of Harry Potter. Mm -hmm. But before we do, the month of August is... is the month of August is, is dedicated to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. And the Immaculate Heart of Mary is often venerated together with the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Amen. And that's the devotion we celebrate in June. And with good reason, right? Just as the Sacred Heart represents Christ's love for mankind, the Immaculate Heart, of, Heart represents the desire of the Blessed Virgin to bring all people to her Son. She says, do what he tells you. Amen. There is no better example of the Christian life than that offered by Mary. Through the following prayers, which help us help to deepen our devotion to our Immaculate Heart, we can join the Mother of God in drawing drawing closer to Christ. And there's so many Marian yep. prayers. One should be the yes. Daily Rosary. Absolutely. The Hail Mary. That's the Daily Rosary. Yes. And today, the Saint of the Day is Feast Saint, of Saint, Saint Claire. Claire. Yes. Pray yes. for us. Yeah, pray for us. And, you know, there's one uh, poor Claire nun that I want like to mention. Her name is Mother Angelica. Rest in peace. Uh, she was a poor Claire who founded EW10, a global Catholic television network. And um, and she suffered persecution oh, inside the church and outside the church. Um, she said she had a saying that says, unless you're willing to do the ridiculous God will not do the miraculous. Hmm. That's Mother Angelica. That is such a wonderful quote. I got that from the Laudate. Amen. So if you want to read more on Mother Angelica, um, uh, she is the... Uh, she, she's an iconic figure. Yeah, she's, iconic fi yeah, figure. Yeah, her and Fulton Sheen gave us the Catholic media. That's yes, it. absolutely. Venable Sheen and Mother Angelica are the pioneers of Catholic media. We wouldn't be here yes. doing this if it wasn't for Venable Sheen and, uh, Mother, and, and Mother Angelica. Angelica. Bishop Sheen, Mother Angelica, pray, pray for, for us. us. I want to mention something about St. Clair. She embraced yep. wholeheartedly St. Francis's joyful love for poverty mm -hmm. as a means of entering the prof profound communion with Christ crucified. And her nuns, the poor mm -hmm. Clares, are renowned for the penitential austerity of their lives and the joy of their spirits. Um, beautiful and rich at the age of 18, Clare renounced everything to follow Christ in the manner of Francis mm -hmm. of Assisi. With him, she founded, co-founded the Poor Clares, establishing their first house at San Damiano. The woman went barefoot. They wore rough tunics and begged for food. It was mm -hmm. in 1234 that Clare famously displayed the Blessed Sacrament on the convent wall as Frederick II's army attacked. Prostrating herself, they prayed, Good Lord, I beg you, defend those I cannot protect. And when Claire raised the Cyborium, the soldiers scattered. Claire, mm -hmm. St. Clair died in 1253 AD and was canonized only two years later. Mm -hmm. oh, what an incredible yes. woman. And Mother Angelica, 
It's not far, it's not far no, from her. No, absolutely yeah. not. What they did is they turned their back to the world and turned towards Christ. Amen. And that's what we got to do as Catholics every day. We have to make that decision every morning when we get up. Am I going to turn my back from the, from the world and turn to Christ? Or am I going to turn face the world and turn my back to Christ? Yeah, we have right. to make that decision every day. Every day when you wake so up. I'm hope, hopefully everybody turns their face back to, to Christ. The world. Yep. Back to the world, face to Christ. Yeah, let's go ad orientum. Absolutely. Hey, there's a great writer by the name of Michael O'Brien who's written about Harry Potter. He, many articles, uh, anything he writes on Harry Potter is worth reading. Uh, obviously, he doesn't believe it's it's uh, pious literature, neither do I. Uh, okay, let me see what's going on here with the, my microphone. Your mic is low. Okay. <laughs> but anyways, uh, um, we're going to uh, go on this article on, on the Harry Potter uh, and the Paganism of Children in the Culture uh, by Michael O'Brien. It says, with the advent of film, television, and now the near virtual reality of special effects, videos, and other electronic entertainment, this has prompted an ongoing debate over what constitutes healthy nourishment of the imagination and what degrades it. In his essay on fairy tales from J.R.R. Tolkien, pointed out that because men, man is made in the image and likeness of God, he is endowed with faculties that reflect his creator. One of these is the gift of subcreation. The human creator may give, him, give form to other words populated by imagery, peoples and beasts, where fabulous environments are the stage for astounding dramas. Tolkien cautions, however, that because man has fallen, the creative faculty is always at risk of veering away from its true objective. Mm. We are all quite capable of taking God-given gifts back in the direction of idolatry. He, he, um, Michael O'Brien says, I think my microphone's on, hopefully. He, it's, it's still not on, Rich? Okay. I'll, have to use, I'll we'll, continue. We'll, have to share. we'll just have to share. Okay. Even the most... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Even the most cursory glance at what is available in children's literature and entertainment offers ample evidence that the paganization of the imagination is well underway. In the late 19th century, there appeared in, cha in children's fiction a trickle of books that began the process of redefining Christian symbols and the presentation of occult themes in a favorable light. Until then, witches and sorcerers, an important element of traditional fables and fairy tales, were consistently portrayed as evil. With the advent of the occult revival, which you're seeing now, which entered the West primarily through certain British writers, huh? Mm. J.K. Uh, Rowling. Involved in esoteric religion, more and more material appeared and attempted to shift the line between good and evil. The characters of the White Witch the pet dragon and the wise wizard became familiar figures in his book, amusing ourselves to death. Neil Postman describes how television has reshaped our society as well. He says the volume of information fed to the mind increased while the mind's ability to sort and cultivate or evaluate the influx of data did not always keep pace. We are dangerously close. He says to that condition described by Aldous Deldus Huxley in the brave new world, no longer conscious of our bondage, uh, we are soothed by endless entertainments. How did this warning apply to books that promote a pagan, uh, a pagan view of the world? The publication of Joanne K. Rawlings' Harry Potter novels, which during the past four years have met with a deluge 
of favorable reviews and an astonishing sales response. Some 76 million copies have been sold. There are translations in 42 languages, and three of the titles are now currently on the New York Times bestsellers list. Because the series represents a world of witchcraft and sorcery in a positive light, it also it has also sparked a minority reaction ranging from outright alarm to sober analysis. Some critics say the books are flawed, but essentially harmless fantasy. Hmm. We got even Catholic people saying that. Hmm. Filling a real need. Others decry them as the next stage in the ongoing degeneration of the culture. Moving right along. Moving, yep. Yeah. Okay. Sorry about that. Pro-Harry commentators say that Rowling's subcreation is witty, thought-provoking, entertaining, expands the child's imagination, and even retains a certain morality. Furthermore, she has succeeded in introducing an electronically addicted generation to the world of reading. All of this is true. The stories are packed with surprises, delights of the imagination that few readers will fail to be enchanted by. Talking chess pieces argue with players about the advisability of moves, ingenious toys and devices abound. Mythological beasts run run in and out of the scenes. Owls deliver mail. A lovable giant hatches dragon eggs and breeds new species of creatures. Elves serve dutifully. Uh, Wise cracking ghosts play tricks. And of course, there's a Quidditch, a combination of rugby, basketball, and polo played on flying broomsticks. Mm. But the charming details are mixed with the repulsive, with the repulsive at every turn. Ron seeks to cast a spell that rebounds on himself, making him vomit slimy slugs. The ghost of a little girl lives in a toilet. Mm. Excremental references are not uncommon. Mm. Urination is no longer an off-limit subject. Rudeness between students is routine behavior. In Volume 4, especially, these trends are in evidence, along with the added spice of sexuality inferred in reference, such as private parts and students pairing off and going into the bushes. Students, witches, and wizards are taught to use their wands, to cast hexes and spells to alter their environments, punish small foes, and defend themselves against more sinister enemies. Transfiguration lessons show them how to change objects and people into other, other kinds of creatures, sometimes against their will. In potions class, they make brews that can be used to control others. In herbology, they grow plants that are used in the potions. The roots of the mandrake plant, for example, are small living babies who scream when they are uprooted for transplanting. And are grown for the purpose of being cut into pieces and boiled in a magical potion. I don't know. Sounds like sounds like a lot like abortion, abortion. to me. Absolutely. Yep. It does yep. sound yep. to me too. The wizard world is about the pursuit of power and esoteric knowledge. And in, and in this sense, it is a modern representation of a branch of ancient Gnosticism. The cult that came close to undermining Christianity at its birth. The so-called... Oh, here comes our lady... We're, we're into a holy pause. Holy pause. We'll be right back. Stick around. We're talking about Michael O'Brien did a great, great analysis of the Harry Potter book. Uh, and we'll share more the next three segments. Don't go anywhere. The woman that says, who would it say? Pray for
We're back. Jesus 911. If you ever wonder if demons ever leave you alone, they don't. Every single time I do a spiritual warfare show, which is on Wednesdays or Fridays, they always mess with my technology. It's interesting when I talk about anything else, everything works in the studio, everything. (laughs) But as soon as Wednesday or Friday comes around and I start talking about our enemy... Uh, something always happens with the technology. My microphone's not even working. It's worked for, I don't know how many years, perfectly. It's not working right now, so we're only using one mic. So why don't we say the St. Michael's Sure, let's do it. Together with everybody out there, please join us. Yeah, name of the Father, Father, Son, Son, and the Holy Spirit, Spirit. amen. St. Michael, Michael, the Archangel, Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our our defense against the wickedness and snares of the devil. devil. May May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan, and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, so we're talking about the Harry Potter. Michael Brown, what an incredible author. He wrote, he's written a lot uh, on the Harry Potter books, just basically showing the dangers of the books. Uh, So let's pick it up where my wife left off. Okay. The Wizard World is about the pursuit of power and esoteric knowledge. And in this sense, it is a modern representation of a branch of ancient Gnosticism, the cult that came close to undermine Christianity at its birth. The so-called Christian Gnostics of the second century were in no way Christian, for they attempted to neutralize the meaning of the incarnation and to distort the concept of salvation along traditional Gnostic lines. Man saves himself by obtaining secret knowledge and power. The figure of Christ was just one of the many myths which they attempted to graft onto their worldview. At the Hogwarts, Hogwarts, holidays such as Christmas and Easter are stripped of Christ, rendered down to no more than social customs and absorbed in the broader context of the occult symbol cosmology. Halloween is the great feast of the year. Rawlings' wizard world, Gnosis in essence and practice, neutralizes the sacred and displaces it by normalizing what is profoundly abnormal and destructive in the, in the real world. Uh, like where wow. it says, man saves himself by obtaining secret knowledge and power. That's witchcraft right yeah, there. Right. That's, how witchcraft, that's how so many Catholics are leaving Catholicism because they want to obtain secret knowledge and power so they're going into witchcraft, especially yeah. low-information Catholics that are influenced by yeah. books like this. Okay. Yeah. While Rowling posits the good use of occult powers against their misuse, thus imparting to her sub-creation an apparent aura of morality, the, cumul- the cumulative effect is to shift our understanding of the battle lines between good and evil. The border is never defined. Well, that's a good line that this guy mm-hmm. O'Brien just used. Mm-hmm. Of course, the archetype of misuse is Voldemort, whose savage cruelty and will to power is blatantly evil. Yet the reader is lulled into minimizing or forgetting altogether that Harry himself and the many other and many other of the good characters, uh, in quotes, frequently use the same powers on a lesser scale, supposedly for good ends. The false notion of the end justifies the means is the subject throughout this whole book. And by the way, there's a Catholic principle in moral theology which teaches we can never do evil to bring about good. And in fact, the Catechism of the Catholic Church in paragraph 1753 says, the end does not justify the means. The author's characterization and plot continually reinforce the message that if a person is nice, whatever that means, <laughs> if he means well, is brave and loyal to his friends, he can pretty much do as he, see, as he sees fit to combat horrific evil magic powers being the ideal weapon. This is consistent with the author's confused notions of authority. In reality, magic 
is an attempt to bypass the limitations of human nature and the authority of God in order to obtain power over material creation and the will of others through manipulation of the supernatural. What a brilliant yeah. uh, definition of yeah. magic. Magic is about taking control. It is the fundamental option. It, it, is, uh, it is the f- fundamental option of the divine order and creation. In the first book of Samuel, chapter 15, verse 23, divination is equated with the spirit of rebellion. And the Catechism of the Catholic Church calls divination and magic a form of idolatry. All practices of magic or sorcery by which one attempts to tame occult powers so as to place them at one's service and have a supernatural power over others are gravely contrary to the virtue of religion. In, in Rawlings' wizard world, children are taught to manipulate undefined forces and to submit themselves to no higher law than the wizard authorities wow. <laughs> who will help them exercise their powers wisely. However, yeah. the authorities themselves are divided, imparting to the impressionable uh, reader the certainty that the best person to decide what is or is not a proper use of magic is a young witch or magician himself, guided only by the occasional intervention of a Dumbledore or some similar guru figure. Let's go back to that first uh, where Rawlings said uh, their, their children are taught to manipulate undefined forces to submit themselves to no higher law. Who's a higher law? It's God. And, and the wizards have authority. That they're the ones that have the authority, not, not, not God. Not God. Right. So yeah. that was an interesting uh, uh, couple of sentences there. In Hogwarts, although it is organized along a system of rules, pretty much like an ordinary boarding school, Harry's o- disobedience is frequently overlooked and even rewarded by the school authorities. After all, he is a special boy, gifted, hated by evil incarnate, and destined for greatness. But is Harry really all that good? He blackmails his uncle uses trickery and deception, and, quote, breaks a hundred rules, end quote, to quote, to quote the mildly censorious but ultimately approving Dumbledore. He frequently tells lies to get himself out of trouble and lets himself be provided into revenge provoked, against, provoked. Provoke, provoked into revenge against his student enemies. He hates his enemies. The reader soon finds himself forgiving Harry for this because the boy's tormentors are vindictive and mocking. In a consistent display of a, th- a thorough overkill, Rowling depicts such, quote, bad, unquote, characters as ugly in appearance. She does a good deal of sneering at the, at the Dorsleys for being fat and ridicules the oafish bodies of the students who oppress Harry. And these details and a plethora of others throughout the series, the child reader is encouraged in his baser instincts while lip service is paid to morality. In fact, nowhere in the series is there any reference to the system of moral absolutes against which actions can be measured. In a word, this is a materialist magic, magic as a naturalized human power. (laughs) In his book, An Exorcist Tells a Story, Father Gabriel Morth, rest in peace, the chief exorcist of the Archdiocese of Rome, 
warns that modern men are losing their sense of the reality of supernatural evil. As a result, he says, many have made themselves more vulnerable to the influence of evil spirits who seek to corrupt and destroy souls. I can state that the number of those who are affected by the evil one has greatly increased, as Father Morth. The first factor that influences the, in- the increase... The first factor that influences the increase of evil influences is Western consumerism, Mm -hmm. like the Harry Potter books. Mm -hmm. The majority of people have lost their faith due to a materialistic and hedonistic lifestyle. It is a well-known fact that where religion regresses, I like that, where religion regresses, superstition progresses. Mm. Hmm. We can see the proliferation, especially among the young, of spiritism, witchcraft, and the occult. Father Morth does not hesitate to say that cultural influence such, such as film, television, music, and books play no small part in the lowering, lowering of spiritual vigilance. Father Morth says, I was able personally to verify how great is the influence of these tools of Satan on the young. It is unbelievable how widespread are witchcraft and spiritism in all their forms in middle school and high school, this evil is everywhere, even in small towns. Mm-hmm. Notice he says witchcraft. Yep. And speaking of the growing phenomenon, the diabolical possession and other forms of bondage to evil, Father Amorth points to sorcery as the most frequent cause. In his book, he warns that ultimately there's no real difference between white and black magic. Every form of magic is practiced, I like this, every form of magic is practiced with recourse to Satan. He says, either knowingly or unknowingly, the practitioner of magic exposes himself to diabolical influence. Uh, Scripture warns us that witchcraft is one of the most common means used by the devil to bind men to himself and to dehumanize them directly or indirectly. Witchcraft is a cult of Satan. And this comes from an approved author on exorcism, Father Gabriel Amor. Okay, let's talk about the psychology and the perception. With occult themes now a part of mainstream culture, the Potter series is juxtaposed between a growing amount of blatantly diabolical material for the young on one hand and the other a tide of cultural material that redefines good and evil in subtler ways. Thus, it appears as a healthier specimen of what has been more or less normalized all around us. As as Postman warned, the strange and disordered no longer, no, no longer strikes us as, uh, as, as such. Our society is saturated in the false notion that a lesser evil, in this case good sorcery, is preferable to the great evil Satanism, a message further reinforced by the book's condemnation of extremes of diabolical behavior. What we so often forget is that the lesser evil concept is a classic classic adversarial tactic tactic in the great war between good and evil, the real war in which we are all immersed. The evil spirits seek to attract us to evil behavior by first offering us evil thoughts disguised as good. In opposition to these, they set up great evils from which we naturally recoil and offer the lesser evils as the antidote. If the lesser evils presented with a little window dressing of virtue or morality, or the modern term values, we can turn to it assuming we are making a choice for a, for a good. Mm. This dynamic can be observed in the way, way film classification has gradually altered our judgments and consequent viewing habits. We have come to assume that a film rated PG is better than X rated film, forgetting that 
what is now called PG would have been completely objectionable a generation ago. This is Postman's quote-unquote adjustment. This is, really, re, this is reality shift. This is, to put it simply, loss of discernment. Loss of discernment means in Catholicism the inability to tell good spirits from bad spirits. Yeah. Children are dependent on adults to make careful discernments in the area of culture because they do not have the advantage of age and experience. They are in a state of formation, absorbing impressions about the nature of reality at a fundamental level. And few things in life are, are as powerful as culture for defining reality, for defining good and evil. In the case of the Harry Potter series of discernment, discernment has been difficult for many people because these novels seem at first glance to reject evil by disassociating magic from the diabolic. Yet in the real world, they are always associated I hear the the woman cl- uh, clothed with the sun coming over here. Yeah, the mother of our Redeemer. Mater de Ora Pranovis. Giving our, us a holy pause. Our Lady Guadalupe, pray for us. Hey, we'll be right back. We're talking about uh, Michael O'Brien's assessment of the Harry Potter books. Very, very well. Good stuff. Well thought out. We'll be right back. And by the way, we agree with him or we wouldn't have picked the article. We'll be right back. We're back. We're sharing Michael O'Brien's article on Harry Potter. It's called uh, The Paganization of Our Children and Culture. It's very well written. We agree with the article or we wouldn't be sharing it with you. Michael O'Brien says, We must ask ourselves if they really can be separated without negative consequences. If magic is presented as a good or as morally neutral, is there not an increased likelihood that when a young person encounters opportunities to explore the, the world of real magic, he will be less able to resist its attractions? Of course. Children are not so naive as to think that they can have Harry Potter's powers, Harry's powers and adventures. They know full well the stories make believe, but on the subconscious level, they have absorbed it as experience. And this experience tells them that the mysterious forbidden is highly rewarding. Parents' warnings about abstract dangers can pale in a child's minds when compared to the tales packed with potent images that have lodged deeply in his imagination. Regardless of how few or many children are prompt to venture into into occult activity after reading the Potter series, it will have a strong effect on most in the sense of what educators call the podatiuk, preparing the ground for later uh, developments. If the natural and spiritual guard has been lowered in the child's mind, if his concept of morality has been skewed and authority undermined, what other kinds of disordered interests and activities will follow as he makes his choices later in life? This is no longer an academic question. A recent search of the Internet for Harry Potter references yielded more than 500,000 hits or sites where the books are being discussed, including those of major libraries. Selective searches turned up more than 100 high-profile websites devoted to the series, many of which offer cross-links to to advanced occult websites under titles such as Learn More About the Secrets of the Occult and How to Become a Witch. 
In an interview with the news with the, with Newsweek, a spokesman for the Pagan Federation in England reported that he receives an average of a hundred inquiries a month from young people who want to become witches, an unprecedented phenomenal phenomenon which he attributes in the part to the Potter books. An article in the December 17, 2000 issue of Time magazine reports that a similar organization in Germany deals with an increasing number of inquiries, which it also credits to the Potter factor. Rowling herself has expressed surprise at the volume of mail she receives from young readers writing to her as if Hogwarts were real, wanting to know how they can enter the school in order to become witches and wizards. I wonder what her response would be. I want to start going, I want to enroll in your school. Trust me, she's not going to enroll them in our Catholic RCIA. Nope. Kimbra W. Gish, a librarian at Vanderbilt University who specializes in children and young adults' readings, discusses a controversy in the May-June 2000 issue of the librarian's journal, The Hornbook Magazine. Mm. In explaining Christian concerns about the Potter series, uh, Mrs. G- Kimbra Gish outlines how the books re- repeatedly portray in a positive light the very activities that are condemned in both Old and New Testaments in the strongest possible terms. She cites Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 9 and 12, a passage in which, in, in which enchanting, divination, charms, consulting with familiar spirits or a wizard or a necromancer are described as an abomination in the eyes of God and must be driven out. She notes numerous other passages forbidding the practice of witchcraft and wizardry or consultation with mediums or diviners all over the Old and New Testament. Mm. Uh, you can also see the confrontation between St. Paul and a magician in the book of, in the book of Acts chapter 13, verses 6 to 12. So Kimbra Gish, the librarian, points out that modern culture can desensitize people to the corruptive nature of such activities through casual exposure to the occult, through media sources such as television, movies, games, and books. While some parents are alarmed, by any portrayal of occult practices in children's fiction, she says others feel that context is the key. Is the witch portrayed positively, negatively, (laughs) or ambivalently? Is the practice shown as an acceptable or enjoyable thing to do or something stupid or dangerous? Like many reflective, literate people who who love both children and children's literature, Kimbra Gish favors the latter approach. She comes down firmly against J.K. Rowling's Potter series and enthusiastically for fantasy in the line of J.R.R. Tolkien's and C.S. Lewis's sub-creations. For her, as for many parents, the problem is not the presence of magic in a book, but how magic is represented. So both Tolkien and Lewis use magic in a very fundamentally different, different from Rowling. In The Magician's Nephew, the first volume of, of Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, the corruption of Narnia begins when an elderly lo- lo- Londoner dabbles in occult activity and opens the doors between the worlds. The ensuing struggle for the restoration of Narnia to its original order is the direct result of the very activities the Potter books portray as forces of good. Of good. Lewis depicts, depicts them as forces allied with chaos disruption, bondage, and violation of dignity of creatures. Throughout the Chronicles, witches are portrayed in classic terms as malevolent, manipulative, deceiving, and destructive, not the least of whom is a character called the White Witch. Hmm. 
In the Harry Potter series, for example, Harry resists and eventually overcomes Voldemort with very, with very, with the very powers the Dark Lord himself uses. Harry is a reverse image of Frodo. Rowling portrays his victory over evil as a fruit of esoteric knowledge and power. This is Gnosticism. Tolkien portrays Frodo's victory over evil as a fruit of humility, obedience, and courage in a state of radical suffering. This is Christianity. Harry's world is about pride. Frodo's about sacrificial love. Mm. There is, of course, plenty of courage and love in the Harry Potter series, but it is this very mixing of truth and untruth which makes it so deceptive. Courage and love can be found in all peoples, even those involved in the worst forms of paganism. The presence of such virtues does not automatically justify an error-filled work of fiction. In Potter World, the characters are engaged in activities which in real life corrupt us, weaken the will, darken the mind, and pull the practitioner down into spiritual bondage. Whoa, that's something. The Potter World, the characters are engaged in activities which in the real life, in real life, corrupt us, weaken the will. We've seen that. Darken the mind and pull the practitioner down into a spiritual bondage. How we've seen that. Checkmate. Uh, we've seen, yeah, me and my wife have seen people possessed in witchcraft, the, the so we, we know the effect really of it. Weakened. For example, it is now almost universally taken for granted that we can absorb a certain amount of immoral entertainment without being adversely affected by it. Wrong. <laughs> mm -hmm. We simply assume that if we have sufficient rational faith, we'll be able to sift through good and bad material without being harmed by it, ignoring the bad, savoring the good. We numbly watch the graphically dramatized murders of many human beings every week, but would be upset if a dog were to be kicked on screen. We are entertained by television programs based on the occult worldview, such as Charmed, Charmed Buffy the Vampire Slayer, uh, and Sabrina the Teenage Witch, and comedy programs such as Cheers, Friends, and Seinfeld, deriving enjoyment from the wit, but little realizing how a diet of laughing at what is profoundly unfunny will over time alter our ability to understand the gravity of immoral acts. In short, we have accepted the normalcy of corruption. Good phrase. Mm -hmm. As G.K. Chesterton once pointed out, when men cease to believe in God, they do not believe in nothing. Uh, they, they do not believe in nothing. They then become capable of believing in anything. Books and films, which three generations ago would have been instantly recognized as unhealthy for our children, are now considered acceptable and those who oppose them are alarmist or hysterical like my wife and myself. <laughs> Why is this so? I believe it is due to the distortions in the psychology of perception among believers no less than among non-believers. In other words, real threats to our children's well-being are now being interpreted as harmless. Momar points out that it is precisely this dynamic which is corrupting us. The belief in the presence of the supernatural always a mediated, veiled presence does not weaken without reawakening the latent temptation of paganism. The pagan myth, the occult, the magical, the adult, uh, idolatrous love of the nature, immanentist philosophies begins to awaken among the masses by exerting an imperceivable influence on the unconscious. Only then does it make its appearance, its consciousness, and rationalist systems. 
Reasonable Christian parents would not permit their children to read a series of enthralling books depicting the rights and adventures of likable young people involved in drug dealing or premarital, premarital sex or sadism. We, call, we, still, we, we are still capable of recognizing the falsehood and glamorizing torture because of the physical pain is a reality in everyone's life and anyone unjustly inflicting pain is instantly recognized for what he is an enemy. We would not give our children fiction in which a group of, quote, good, end quote, for, good fornicate, fornicators, end quote, struggled against a set of, quote, bad fornicator, fornicators, end quote, because we know that the power of disordered sexual, sexual impulse is an abiding problem in human affairs, the negative effects of which we can call, we can see all around us. Why, then, have we accepted a set of books which glamorize and normalize occult activity, even though it is, it is every bit as deadly to the soul as sexual sin, if not more so? Is it because we have not yet awakened to the fact that occultism is in fact a clear and present danger? We'll pick it up again on the next segment. We got one more segment, but uh, you're listening to Jesus 911. We're talking, Michael O'Brien has written several articles. Mm -hmm. uh, anything he writes on Harry Potter, it's very, very uh, academic. It's deep. Uh, it's, it's well documented. And we'll be continuing on this topic. On the next uh, segment, we're going to quote some Catholic priests. What some Catholic priests say about this book. Many Catholic priests, in fact, and what a Pope says about it. Uh, the article is called Harry Potter and the Paganization of Children's Culture. You can get it from our website, thempr.org, thempr.org, or jesseromero.com, jesseromero.com. We'll be right back. We are back, Jesus 911 with Jesse and Anita. And I just want to mention to you, we'll be going to the Holy Holy Land October 16th, uh, 6th to the 16th. Go to our website if you're interest, interested in spending 10 days with Jesse and Anita and our pastor and with Father, Father Dave, Dave Nix. Yes, we will. And uh, just to have a great time and, and just walk the footsteps of Jesus and just get away from the world and just concentrate on him. And, uh, yep. you know, because sometimes we need that spiritual boost and this is going to be our spiritual boost. Just me and Jesse are going to step back and just focus on Christ all yeah. week and focus on an interior life interior all week. Life, yeah. Absolutely. Yes. So the article ends by saying uh, it's Michael O'Brien is talking about the paganiz paganization of our culture, of our children through the Harry Potter books. The last paragraph, I like what he says here. Yes. When literally Experts tell us that fantasy such as the Potter series is a laudable exp expansion of the imagination, an enrichment of mind and soul. That is, that it is, well, literature. Our um, antenna should quiver a little. We should ask ourselves why evil concepts, if they are wrapped in the aura of culture, now enjoy a special exemption from the normal rules of discernment. Moreover, we should take note of the fact that in our sensually dominated society, the habit of acting out fantasy is becoming a cultural norm. It varies from 
voracious consumption of expensive toy toys for all age groups to trading in one's spouse for new one found on the internet, from clubs devoted to immoral activity to high school murders. Why, then, do we presume that a sensually powerful series of children's books will not affect a young reader's interests and activities? Hmm. Why have we come to assume that such novels have no consequences, that the experience of plunging the imagination into that alternative and ultimately false world? Will, will remain sealed in an airtight compartment of the mind. Hmm. We must ask ourselves how we arrived at a position where we allow our children to absorb for hours on end in the form of powerful fiction, activities that we would never permit them to observe or to practice in real life. Well said, Michael O'Brien. I think uh, we need to uh, focus on um, J.R. Tolkien. We need to read his books. We need to expose our children to those books. Yeah, well, we'll t- I'm going to talk about that right yeah. now. Uh, let me quote to you J.K. Rowling, the author of the Harry Potter series, in her own words. So she was interviewed, and the, uh, the sources on the NPR.org or jesseromero.com, you can get the link to the interview. It's empirenews.net. Uh, J.K. Rowling was interviewed by empirenews.net. This statement is on J.K. Rowling's official website. She wrote this, quote, the author of Harry Potter. Mm -hmm. It's been so many years, and the built-up guilt has been like a rainy cloud following me everywhere I go. When I write, when I sleep, when I practice practice magic, Mm -hmm. she admits she practices magic. When I go to the bank to deposit my billion-dollar Harry Potter checks. Blood money. My secret was like Horcrux. And now... I've destroyed it so my soul can be whole again for the witches. Notice what she just said. My soul can be whole again for the witches. She united her. R- yeah. Yep. Raleigh, and Raleigh writes this. It's about time that I tell the world I am a strong supporter of Wicca, which means witchcraft. Mm-hmm. I truly believe in its benefits as a religion. I wrote Harry Potter to please the mother goddess. <laughs> They need new followers. So that she's saying the mother goddess and witches need new followers. And they needed young followers. Mm-hmm. I wrote this Harry Potter series to manipulate young minds into believing witchcraft was real and it worked. I didn't wow. put I just quoted to you the words of J.K. Rowling on her website. Wow. So you can believe that there's nothing wrong with okay. these books, mm-hmm. or you can take her words at face value. Mm-hmm. Now on December 25th, 2019, J.K. Rowling, the, the author of Harry Potter, she was uh, interviewed by the BBC. And here's what the BBC uh, journalist asked her, quote, uh, J.K. Rowling, you get some flack in the States, I think, because people say it's satanic. Talking about her books. Mm-hmm. J.K. Rowling responded, well, it is, John. It is satanic, and I think that now is the night to say it. Thank you for enabling me to say that at, to say that at last. It is a great le- relief and a liberation. I have to say, I have a PR person here with me tonight. She's sitting with her head in her hands at the moment. Oh, close wow. quote. So notice. Well, there she admitted. 
<laughs> J.K. Rollins has been going around the country. Live and her, TV. Her PR people are telling her, don't ever admit that this is satanic and right, witchcraft absolutely. because we want to sell, sell, sell. Yes. Let people guess. Well, she got fed up with traveling with a PR person saying, keep your mouth shut, keep your mouth shut. Yep. Remember, stick to the script, stick to the script. We want to sell books, we want to sell books. She got tired of it because she's a billionaire now, so she could care less. Yes. So her, her uh, PR person's next to her that manages what she says, don't say this, don't say that, she didn't care. She just had a meltdown and she let it out and she says, yes, the Harry Potter books are satanic and she says, yes, I've finally been able to say it. And one more, there's a 15-minute interview she had with Oprah Winfrey and I've got the link to it. Miss uh, J.K. Rowling told Oprah the following. She said this, quote, in religion, of course, you're looking for outside support. That's God, outside support. Mm-hmm. While the appeal of magic is that we, J.K. Rowling says, we ourselves have power and we can shape our world. Yep, Close quote. That saying, me, myself, and I. Yeah, that, that's the whole attraction <laughs> to witchcraft. The witchcraft yep. is, I will give you power mm-hmm. over yourself and over other people. And you don't need God. You don't need God. So that's exactly what she told Oprah yep. Winfrey. Mm-hmm. Basically, she says that children don't need Thank God. God. Now, I want my wife to share some bombshells. We're going to quote Catholic priests. These are ordained men uh, that are pr- the holy orders, the priests of the, of the Most High God. And they have something to say about the Harry Potter books as well. Okay? Let me have uh, my wife share with you just a list of priests, and then we'll go to the top heavyweights after. But, Anita, there's a couple of priests here, if you can share, who have spoken out against Harry Potter. Yeah, we have... Father Donald Calloway, oh, 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 he spoke, oh, oh, oh. Okay, Father yeah. Don Calloway, who spoke out against the Harry Potter books, um, he's on YouTube. He's uh, a heavyweight. Yeah, heavyweight. Um, you can go into the eight, uh, it's eight eight minutes and 40 minutes long. Uh, Father Dave Nix, negative, he says the Harry Potter books negatively affects children. Heavy, another heavyweight another, priest. Father Jim Costigan, Costigan. Uh, okay, he's a, from the Fathers of Mercy, says a Harry Potter corrupts our children. Another right. heavyweight, Harry, yeah. uh, Fathers of Mercy. <laughs> yeah. Another heavyweight, Father Vince Lampert, Exorcist, speaks out against Harry Potter. Father Dan Real, Rahil, an exorcist, the pastor of St. Edward Catholic School in Nashville, Tennessee, and he has banned Harry Potter books because he believes that the books contain quote, actual curses and spells, end quote, that, quote, risk conjuring evil spirits, end quote. Father Rahil thinks that actual magic or evil spirits may be summoned by reading these books. Well, I want to just mention something. Family member, she was young. Mm. She read the Harry Potter books. And guess what? She embraced She embraced lesbianism. lesbianism. But then her, because she had praying uh, grandmother, yeah. uh, she got herself out of it. So it's it's no joke. It's it, no it joke. Happened it happened in our family. So next next heavy hitter, fa- Father Pedro Mendoza, he's a chief exorcist of Diocese of Mexico, said the popular Harry Potter book series could allow the devil to enter into children's minds and does a lot of damage. If you put all these ideas in a child's head that he can become a wizard, the child believes that and that is an opening up an avenue by which the devil can get in. And they're having a lot of problems in Mexico with, you know, with the abortion and, you know, the cartels, the Santa Muerte. And that's how they start grooming these kids. Read this book. This is good. You don't need God. Here you go. Yeah. 
Mexico is rife with the occult right now. Yeah. Obviously, Father Chad Ripperger denounces the Harry Potter books in no uncertain mm-hmm. terms. Also, Father Gable Amorth denounces the Harry Potter term, uh, books in no uncertain terms. Yeah. And also, Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger, who later became Pope Benedict XVI, there was a German author who was criticizing, a, a, a German journalist who was criticizing Harry Potter. Her name was Gabriele Cuby, or it was a man, excuse me, Gabriel Cuby. Uh, and, and Pope Benedict was told about this person who was criticizing Harry Potter books. And Pope Benedict wrote to Gabriel Kuby and said this, quote, It is good that you enlighten people about Harry Potter because those are s- subtle seductions which, are, which act unnoticed and by, this deeply dis- and by this deeply distort Christianity in the soul before it can, properly, it can grow properly. So Pope Benedict was warning this author, good for you, expose the Harry yeah, Potter books. You. Because what it's doing, if it gets into the soul of a young person, it can distort their soul. Anita, there's a very famous Catholic nun back uh, about 100 years ago that wrote a book called The Way of Divine Love. I want you to read what she said about reading bad books. Share a little bit about this nun. Okay. The following material is quoted verbatim from the book Way of Divine Love of of Sister Josefa Mendez. Menendez. Josefa, on her return from hell, noted the following. I saw several souls fall into hell, and among them was a child of 15, cursing her parents for not having taught her to fear God, nor that there was a hell. Her life had been a short one, she said, but full of sin, for she had given in to all that her body and passions demanded in the way of satisfaction, especially she had read bad books. Wow. That's this. Um, she died. Uh, uh, Sister Menendez. She died in um, and at the age of thirty three. Hmm. Maybe we mm-hmm. should listen to her. Yeah, maybe we should listen to her. You know this whole thing about bad books and, and Catholic moral theology before Vatican II. Uh, you could look at all the moral theology books. I have one in my shelf. It's called Moral Theology Ten Books, nineteen sixty one. And uh, if you look at paragraph four hundred one, it talks about impious literature. Mm-hmm. What is in pious literature? It says here, books forbidden by the common law of the church are books which teach or approve of superstition, fortune telling, divination, magic, spiritism, and other such practices. That's the Harry Potter books. Yep. Before nineteen, before Vatican II, Harry Potter would have been classified an impious book. But after 1965, because so much modernism and modernists have taken over many parts of the church, that's no longer referenced anymore, but it's still an impious book. It doesn't matter if we're in 2023. Parents, please monitor what your kids are reading, not only in book form, but also in the Internet. You have to be vigilant. Be vigilant. God bless you. We'll see you next week. Same Christ time, same tri-channel. God bless you, family. Keep the faith. Uh, May the Lord bless you and keep you safe. May the Lord shine his face upon you. And may the Lord be gracious to you and kind to you and smile upon you and give you his peace and favor. Amen. We'll see you next week. Until next time. Love you, family. God bless.